Hello and welcome to Beyond Boundaries. I'm Justin Douglas. So happy you can join me for this episode of Beyond Boundaries. Please consider checking out the Patreon page and supporting the Beyond Boundaries podcast if you're able. That's patreon.com forward slash Beyond Boundaries podcast. You can also help by sharing, subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. It makes a huge difference. Hope you enjoy this episode of Beyond Boundaries. So this episode is over a year old. It was just a little over a year ago that I recorded this episode at Q Conference. Uh, Maybe you've listened to some other episodes that I recorded at Q Conference. It was my plan to release this in the summer of last year, 2019, but the podcast went on a break and I've been waiting to get this out since. Aaron and I have a great conversation about his story, his church, his book, and so much more. Uh, Aaron's a great dude. I actually got to reconnect with him at Q Conference this year in Florida and was super encouraged by that interaction. And I really hope that you enjoy this conversation of me and Aaron Van Voris. So I'm here with Aaron Van Voris, author of A Survival Guide for Heretics, and we are at Q Conference at his booth, actually. And we got all the gear out and we're trying to have a conversation. You're definitely going to hear some background noise, but we're going to talk a little bit about his book, a little bit about his church. And uh, do you just want to introduce people to yourself, Aaron? Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me on, Justin. So I'm Aaron Van Voris, the lead pastor of Central Avenue Church in Glendale, California, and also the author of A Survival Guide for Heretics, findable on Amazon if you're so interested. Yeah. There you go. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about Central Avenue Church? Sure. So Central is a progressive Christian community made up of mostly millennials who are post-evangelical, post-conservative. We are a fully affirming um, Christian church, meaning we're fully affirming of the LGBTQ community. And so Central uh, is sort of an interesting church because it is an old red brick, white column, Baptist-looking church building because it was a Baptist church. Oh, wow. It was founded as a Southern Baptist congregation in the 1950s and dwindled down in size to about 20 people in the late, I don't know, like around 2009. Yeah. Excuse me. <clears throat> and so they hired me right out of Fuller Seminary to come in in 2009 to help revitalize it, but basically to change it from a Southern Baptist church into an independent non-denom okay um because they saw the writing on the wall they knew it wasn't gonna last very cool and so i was hired to come in and change everything and we changed it into this very progressive christian community so there you go and it's and you came out of fuller you said right i did how was that experience i've heard a lot of good things about i fuller. enjoyed fuller um yeah. fuller i would not describe fuller as very progressive i would describe them as moderate not conservative not progressive but kind of sure, in the middle sure. That's but fair, Fuller was, what's that? That's fair from what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. Fuller was an important step on my journey as far as my journey kind of out of evangelicalism and my journey into deconstruction or through, deconstru- through deconstruction. Fuller was a part of that, and I really enjoyed my time there. So tell me a little bit about the book. Uh, the book, we've talked about it a little bit. It, it charts your story of um, going through evangelical churches and where you've landed now Hmm. at Central. Tell me a little bit about that journey, about that struggle, what people might expect if they were to pick up your book and read it, or some of, you know, what you've learned in your journey. Okay, cool. So I guess a little bit of backstory about me. I grew up in Chicago in a Pentecostal community, very fundamentalist, very rigid, conservative. Um, You can imagine what all that means, I guess. I don't have to explain that. Um, In my mid-20s, I stepped away from that because I 
was introduced to people that were different than me, basically just different Christians that didn't grow up exactly the way I did. And that kind of changed my perceptions of my own faith a little bit, just just a little, just sure. a tad. Um, and then I, I left Chicago for Nashville at the ripe age of 25 for college. I was kind of a late bloomer and um, went to <laughs> went to a small Christian university in Nashville called Lipscomb, where I got a BA in Bible. But Lipscomb was actually relatively progressive for a conservative university. Okay. I say progressive in quotation marks because where I'm at now and where a lot of us are at now, we wouldn't think of Lipscomb as being very progressive, but they were progressive in the sense where I was given permission or basically told that Genesis 1 is not science and that it was mythology and it's it's allegorical and sure. not meant to be an actual scientific retelling of the creation of the universe. That was groundbreaking for me in my deconstruction. Oh, that was course. like the first thing that kind of cracked the door open. So for you, science and faith <clears throat> was the first kind of domino to begin saying, yes. hold on, I need to look at the Bible a little yes. different than I was handed. Like the the literal framework started to say, yeah. oh, okay, the literal framework doesn't work <laughs> with this story. Where else might that yep. be up for exploration? And I was introduced to the to the idea at Lipscomb that there's different ways of reading the Bible, yeah. which is was an amazing idea to me at the time, yeah. that my tradition did not have the only right way the only sure. legitimate way of reading the scriptures. I mean, that was groundbreaking me for, for me, yeah. Justin. Um, I, I can't overstate how much that was like a sea change for me, right? So, but again, that kind of opened the door to deconstruction. And that was de uh, the beginning of deconstruction. And that was like 2003 for me. Okay. And then I, I, upon graduating from Lipscomb with a BA in Bible, I went and got my first job working in the church full time. Yeah. Uh, it was for a mega church in Nashville, kind of a mainline evangelical church. And uh, that was kind of a heartbreaking experience for me because the, the pastor there was kind of a CEO mentality, focused on attendance, building in cash, mm. you know, your classic kind of mega church pastor. And I got to see how the sausage was made. I, I got to see church from behind the scenes for the first time and saw that it was a business. And, and, and that's okay to some degree. I'm not like bemoaning that. But I think what shocked me was the pragmatism of it all and, and how how much of a show it was. Yeah. I, I got to see how much of a show um, these you know, this mega church was and how it was just kind of, I don't know, it was it was sort of a turnoff. And so what year I, was that that you were in, in that experience? What's that? What year was that that you it were in It was 2003 that? to 2006. Dude, in 2006 to 7, I was, 2006 to 8, I was in the same exact experience in a mega really? church. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Well, like the same exact, like, being part of the, it was a, church of 3500 yeah and i was the high school youth pastor wow and just the the different value system that exists in a structure that large um you know without speaking ill love the people there love a lot of the people there but like just the like you said the business aspect i left that church thinking i would never go back into ministry yeah and, me too i left it was called harpeth okay. i left harpeth in 2006 for us to move to Los Angeles for me to go to Fuller Seminary really wondering if I even belonged in church ministry at all yeah questioning everything because I was so burnt out from that two and a half year experience um, and but I went to seminary anyway because I was like well at the very least I think I want to get into teaching so I need an advanced degree for that yeah and then I'll figure out what if anything I want to do in ministry anymore while I'm yeah. spending $75,000 at Fuller for my MDiv but um, can I ask how God 
re I guess healed your heart yeah. and the wounds that you had from that because I know for me I had a unique experience right afterwards where I got to go to Boston and uh, I pretty much just did community organizing oh, wow. and it kind of reclaimed my heart for ministry yeah. because I got intimately connected with people yeah. that needed to be served and like I guess I think God used that experience for me to say you, I've designed you to serve people. Not that God hasn't done that to some extent for all of us, but for me, especially in the area of serving them spiritually and being a guide or a help, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, support, you know? Uh, and I, I, in essence, came out of that experience feeling even further called into ministry despite all the junk. And right. I found that most people who left ministry like you and I have a healing journey and I'd love for you to share that with people because I think some people might be in a place right now where they're getting ready to leave the church they right. just left the church they've already walked away from the church and they don't feel like healing's possible because I right. think you and I would probably say on that last day <laughs> at, the, at our you know churches we were at that like healing wasn't yeah. gonna happen like what well and let me let me just say at the outset that I think taking a break from the church can actually be a very healthy thing oh, 100%. I, I took a year off when 100%. I first moved to LA uh, from Nashville, my wife and I said, we, I, I don't want to go to church for a while. We didn't go to church for like a year because I just felt like I needed to detox a I little agree. bit. I agree. I agree. Um, but when I did go back, it was weird, honestly. Like I ended up going to Mosaic, if you're familiar with Mosaic in LA. And uh, it was, it's funny, like I left, I, I left the church because of its kind of like inauthenticity and commercialness. And the first church I went back to was Mosaic, which is basically, <laughs> if you don't know, that's like a mega church in LA. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's all about the arts and yeah. it's, it's, it, I'm not dissing it for that, but it's definitely like the ultimate Sunday show church. Did you, know? you go there because you could be like anonymous? Yeah, I went there because to, like, I had heard about Mosaic so much. I was okay. like, all right, well, I guess if we're going to go back. I guess we'll try this place. Sure. I don't know. But what was so healing for me, Justin, was honestly like getting this job at Central. And basically what happened was I was graduating from Fuller Seminary, not sure if I wanted to go back into ministry, really thinking about going to Scotland and getting my PhD at a university in Scotland in philosophy of religion and trying to do a college professor thing. Okay. Um, but some professors at Fuller said to me, look, at, even if you went to a top, top tier like um, uh, program like at Yale, yeah. like it's so competitive. It's so hard to get into, you know, act. Um, academics at the college level yeah. that if you have any heart for ministry anymore I would seriously recommend you you look into going back into ministry and gotcha. I did have a heart for ministry still I was seriously thinking about doing like a part-time like pastor gig and trying to teach part-time so I, I went shopping uh, my last semester at Fuller I went shopping I went looking for local local pastor gigs in Los Angeles to see what was out there and this one church called First Southern Baptist Church of Glendale posted up on the Fuller website that they were looking for a new lead pastor. And I was like, First Southern Baptist First Church of Glendale. Church. Yeah, First Southern Baptist Southern Church, Baptist. which might as well have been, the name might as well have been Stay Away From Here Church of Glendale. Um, but what was so interesting about their opportunity was they wanted to cut their ties with the Southern Baptists, and they basically wanted someone to come in and help them um, church plant like a non-denom independent church in this old Southern Baptist church. Yeah. So I interviewed and over the course of a few months getting to know the church, it, it was, it was kind of like ready to change everything. And I seriously was like, this could be really cool. I mean, I could be part of something really cool here taking like an old, I mean, again, it's a white column, red brick, old, you know, with the white steeple and cross an old Baptist looking church building yeah. in a very cosmopolitan area of Los Angeles 
and it's a remnant of what LA was like in the 50s. It was, you know, Mayberry, this part of LA. Yeah. So anyway, it was just a really cool opportunity. And, and what happened to me was that it's as if somebody threw the keys of this church building at me and said, here, do something with this. And I was really able to experiment and really be myself as a pastor for the first time in my life. And that was revitalizing and healing for me. It was, it was um, I got a great team of people around me, um, guys that I hired from Fuller um, to kind of help me do that. And um, we basically said to each other, I don't know what this is going to look like, but we're just going to experiment and just try to be ourselves. And we're going to try to be an intellectually honest Christian community, meaning we're going to embrace science. We're going to embrace doubt and unknowing and just see where that leads us. We're yeah. going to try some different things about what worship might look like and what yeah. preaching might look like and what community might look like. And we're just going to experiment. And that was nine years ago. And it's worked. Uh, and to say it's worked isn't to say we're a big church. We're, you know, there's maybe 120 people that call Central Home, but like average weekly attendance is in somewhere between 50 and 70. And that sure. includes kids, you know. Sure. We're an extremely progressive Christian community. But that's been healing for me. That that's, That is kind of revitalized my faith in the church, revitalized um, my belief that Christianity can still be meaningful, frankly. Yeah. Um, that it can still um, be meaningful and, and important in people's lives. So, yeah. That's awesome. Our our stories so parallel each other because the bridge is very much that kind of community too where I'm at where like we talk a lot on staff about experimenting yeah like when we're like should we try that well that seems kind of crazy well just try and see what happens like if we really failure's feel like okay. we're called, yeah failure's, failure's okay. okay and like and like we're not gonna find out the next idea that's unique and helpful for the church if we don't experiment right and probably I would even say like radically experiment yeah. in some ways and communities like yours are necessary to kind of be not so tied to the tradition or the religion of church to be able to explore different ways. What are some things you've done that you would say are unique that if you go to church, you know, to a typical evangelical church experience, that you guys might do differently or some 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 things that you have explored in that you've been like, oh, this has sure. been good. Um, <clears throat> three things in particular that I think make um, the Sunday morning experience at Central kind of a unique church experience for a lot of people. Um, the first of which is that um, at the end of each we, sermon, if you want to call it that, um, you know, I, I speak for about 20 minutes, and at the end of each talk, it immediately goes into a time of dialogue and Q&A with the congregation. So people can raise their hands and raise any question um, or comment about what I've said, you know, and critique it, disagree with me, or, what, or just add their own reflection. Um, and that's really unique to people. They're like, well, wait a minute. The past, you can actually question the pastor on Sunday mornings in yeah. front of the church. And it's all recorded. So we have, we call it the Central Cast. That's like our weekly podcast. We kind of um, don't even call it a sermon anymore. We call it our podcast. Yeah. So we're kind of a church with a Sunday morning podcast, you could say. Yeah. Um, and that seems to be more attractive to people because, frankly, like using the term like sermon is kind of old school. But yeah, um, it's kind of a conversation. It it's more of a conversation. It's more of a dialogue. Than, yeah, and dialogue, yeah. and it, that structure alone deconstructs this idea that the pastor has all the answers. This idea that yeah. the pastor's job is to stand in front of the community and to deliver God's word that is unquestionable and infallible. No, it's about us. It's about us as a community exploring what it means to be Christian or what it means to do this thing called sacred community together and, and or just life and discover what it means to be human, right? So that's, that's on the surface, one of the most radical things we do on a Sunday morning. But apart from that, we do the Lord's Supper every single Sunday. 
Sunday as well. Really? Yeah, and for like a non-liturgical setting like us, that's kind of unique. Because, that is very unique. Um, yeah. And the way we do the Lord's Supper is really, really unique. So what happens is, I, I don't serve it to every, people don't walk forward and receive it from me. Sure. It's not like a little shot glass and wafer. <laughs> what happens is we hand out a plate and a, and a cup to the congregation on both sides of the of the room and everybody serves each other. So they just pass it down the pew to the next person and you basically serve the person next to you. And that again reinforces this idea that it's not about Aaron, it's not about the pastor, it's about us being Christ to each other. We bring Christ to each other. We are Christ to each other. That's so good. And so again, it kind of like reinforces this idea that it's not church isn't like a spectator thing. It's about participating in a community. Um, so yeah, it does like that on multiple of all levels. Believers it's type, a priesthood of all believers. Right Very Lutheran yeah. of you, Justin. Yeah. Very I'm good. I'm not Lutheran, but hey, man. I, I think I love the concept though because I think so much of evangelicalism removed the priesthood of the individuals yes. in the sense of like in the sense that we're all called um in following jesus to to give our lives to that like right. you know what i mean and and to serve others and to and to do this and so like evangelicalism deplatformed like it, it changed the it gave a platform to one person yeah and and not that just evangelicalism did that obviously other traditions were doing that too but i think evangelicalism really centralized the platform and missed opportunities to to include more um, communal engagement in this yes. way because this is a way that like now I'm sitting next to somebody now here's my question as a, as a pastor yes. in, this, in this question how do you new, new people who come in for the first time experience that who maybe have never gone to church before right. like communion maybe they did it once or they've, they've been a part of it but they either feel like this isn't for me or like how do you how well, do you make them feel comfortable but then also and not that their comfort is like the highest you know priority but I'm saying like yeah, I'm just curious how you invite yeah. new people into that experience. Because we've thought about having communion every Sunday, too. Something we've talked about. But one of the things we've also got feedback on from newer people, especially those who aren't um, followers of Jesus and are just kind of exploring church, um, that that part of the service would be uncomfortable. I don't know. I'm just yeah. curious. So I, every single Sunday, I say the exact same thing right before communion. Okay. Okay, here it is. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, communion is gluten-free, it is alcohol-free, and it is free and open to all who wish to come to the table of Christ, period. Right. Now, the reason why it's gluten-free is because we have a couple people in the congregation that have celiac, okay? Yeah, sure, <laughs> and, sure. And, you know, the gluten-free thing. It's yeah. kind of funny. We've actually been on, um, I forget what Twitter feed it is. It's like a Twitter feed in L.A. called, I think, Overheard in L.A., and it's got like a million followers. And it, we appeared on there. I don't know who put it there. Somebody who attended the church, I guess, once said, Overheard in L.A., uh, communion is gluten-free today. <laughs> it is kind of a funny thing. So I say communion is gluten-free, alcohol-free, and free and open to all who wish to come to the table of Christ. That's so great. the idea is that, you know, this, this, I believe that communion is meant to be, this table of Christ is meant to be radically inclusive. And communion, offering people the body of Christ, regardless of whether or not you define yourself as a Christian or whatever, I think Christ is for you. I think I think Christ is um, available and accessible. For me, that doesn't mean necessarily the metaphysics of the theology behind what some people believe yeah, about what's Christ happening. has to be all shared. No, 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 yeah, not, yeah, none yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Even, for me, the idea that, to say that Christ is for all is to say that love and inclusion and compassion and justice is for all. Yeah. This, the humanity, this this radical affirmation of everybody's of everybody's humanity is offered. To me, that's what communion signifies. Yeah. Um, and, and on a deeper level, on a more radical level, one, something I talk about often at the beginning of communion, depending on my, my talk that Sunday, is that we are, communion is symbolic of us consuming the death of God. You know, literally, 
not literally because I'm not Catholic, but the idea is that the, the, the cracker and the juice signify Jesus' body and blood. Yeah. It signifies his crucifixion. It signifies the death of God. Yeah. And so something I talk about a lot is this idea of ingesting God's death so that we might be the resurrected body of Christ. Yeah. This idea of embracing God's absence, God's death in the world, so that we become the hands and feet of God. We become the agents of God's love and grace. We're not waiting on God to act. We are called to act. We are called to be Christ. We are called to be the embodiment of these Christ-like virtues. Dude, and you in are that preaching. Sense, what's it. that? You're preaching, man. I know, I but, it. It, but I mean, that for me is the meaning of communion, that we are an answer to God's prayer. God's yeah. prayers and tears are that we would be his hands and feet. And that and we would com- be united. That we would be united. Yeah. Yeah. And communion represents that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's something that's articulated a lot uh, at Central, which makes us kind of unique. Um, but, but for me, because we are such a progressive and radical Christian community that deconstructs so much, having that grounding of communion every week helps people still feel like and acknowledge that this is an actual tradition we're participating in. Yeah. This has structure. There is, there is some structure here, even though it's not idolatrous. It's not yeah. it's idolatrous, meaning you better believe this, you better do this or else. But we do it because it's a language of our soul. It's a practice that gives us a kind of shared meaning. Um, communion does that for us. It, it grounds us in our in our shared Christian identity, you could say. So good. Um, so it works like that in our radical community, you could yeah, say. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It's yeah. awesome to hear about that practice and how you guys are doing it. That's giving my like wheels in my head are turning about well, cool. how we might even incorporate that more at the bridge. We do it, but we don't do it as consistently I'll, t- I'll tell you should. one of the reasons that really prompted me to do it Rob Bell said uh, when he left uh, the ministry somebody asked him if you could change one thing about what you used to do in ministry what would it be he said I wish I had done communion more often um, and That's that good. that made me think and actually is one of the uh, the sparks that got me and my team um, to basically do this uh, every week we we said you know what the Lord's Supper is really an interesting you know tactile experience we can offer our people every week that can ground them so anyway that's that was part of the reasoning I like it I like it Um, tell people a little bit about why reading your book would be a good experience ah well for some it would not be a good experience it would (laughs) piss them off it would upset them it would it would make them want to burn it the, this book, well, then the, tell them why they yeah. would like to read it or okay. wouldn't like to read it. <laughs> yeah. So for you heretics out there, uh, you you who have left behind uh, evangelicalism uh, or perhaps uh, considering leaving behind Christianity altogether, my book, A Survival Guide for Heretics, is written for you because it's about this process of deconstruction. Um, it, I wrote it for those who are post-evangelical, maybe even post-theistic, uh, sure. not really sure whether or not they believe in God anymore yeah. or kind of agnostic, but are still interested maybe in maintaining some semblance of a Christian identity. They just don't know what that looks like. I wrote this book for them um, because I wanted to help them kind of traverse those, those stages of deconstruction and, and realize that Christianity is, is actually about the death of God. It's actually about deconstruction. From its inception through the, through the Protestant yeah. Reformation, it's really about reform, it's about revolution, it's about deconstruction, it is about the death and resurrection of God or gods, about sacred, the death and resurrection of sacred structures. So um, I wrote the book about that, and, and it it's, comes from a school of thought called Radical Theology, which is the school okay. of thought that Peter Rollins, if you're familiar with him, sure, sure. Jack Caputo, and, and other luminaries of the postmodern evangelical emergent church, whatever you want to call it, yeah. movement. Um, it comes out of this radical theology school of thought that is kind of a psychoanalytic 
uh, psychological understanding of what happens within religious structures and, and a deeper understanding of Christianity, I, I believe, a deeper understanding of Christianity as about this kind of radical acceptance of God's, God's absence in the world so that we become the hands and feet of Christ. It's, yeah. it's about understanding that what it means to participate with Christ on the cross is to cry out like he did, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, and in good. that act of radical acceptance of kind of God's absence and powerlessness in the world, we become the power and the presence of God in the world. Um, does that make sense? In our weakness, he is strong. Yes, yes. Like even in our, and I, I think that's the problem, like we see, we, we, we have a really easy way of metaphoring that with like, the underdog basketball team that wins the championship they were weak like the Hoosiers story right. like they were weak but they won like yeah. and so we have these metaphors but we don't i don't think apply that to doubt does that make sense yeah. like and that like and i'm not even saying necessarily that doubt is weak but i think well, well let's just go with the idea that doubt is weak yeah i actually think in that place of weakness when we're honest about it yes when we're honest about it and it's terrifying to be God honest can about show it show up in a powerful way yeah. in our story and in my life my moments of deepest doubt in my story are my moments of breakthrough Yeah. in faith. Yeah. Like my faith is strengthened in my moments of doubt. And when you see Jesus on the cross, I think he models that. Yeah. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have doubt at its deepest. Like, yes. like doubt between a father and son. You know what I mean? And yeah, for, 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 for a split second. And I think in that moment of weakness, God shows up in a powerful way. And Jesus seems to even be more faithful to his his calling you well, see what i'm trying to say like, I, I do i don't I, know if that's a good metaphor but. i i think i think it works my problem has been i think the church especially the evangelical western christian american american church has romanticized the cross they we have neutered the real uh power of the cross by making it sound like i don't know about you but i was told okay. when jesus cried out my god my god why have you forsaken me i was taught he said it with a wink in his eye as if it was only he didn't really mean it he was saying it because maybe you know he still wanted us to believe everything was okay everything's under control right yeah he, he said it uh because the human side of jesus was was only doubting the god side of jesus knew everything was okay no that that completely undermines and destroys the real meaning of that moment jesus absolutely despaired and doubted uh, was full of doubt and despair um, b- because th- that's what the cross signifies. It signifies yeah. literally the death of God, and it is utterly yeah. horrific. It is utterly terrible. And in that way, the cross signifies the truth of the human condition. Yes. The truth of the human condition is that we are immersed in suffering and unknowing. We all are facing death. Death could happen any moment. We, we are all exposed to this, to, to, this, to this truth, to this radical reality that death could come for us at any moment and we have no control over it. Mm. We have no idea what lies beyond and it is utterly terrifying. And so we look for shelters. We look for ideologies that can help us cope with that horrific truth. And religion is often, and especially evangelicalism, uh, is often this kind of cathartic ideology that gives us a sense of knowing. It gives us certainty, gives us comfort it says everything's going to be okay if you just believe these things if you just come to church and read your bible but no the central christian message is this 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 solidarity with god who experiences the absence of god this is this this experience of god's absence and and death in the world so that we can actually embrace our our truth and find serenity in the aftermath we can find life we can find hope we can find resurrection here and now in the simple embrace of the truth of our lives and it's okay it's okay not to be okay it's okay to be scared it's okay to doubt it's okay to be lost and and for me that's that's the message of the gospel god meets us in our brokenness 
The God who dies is the God who lives again in us in this kind of radical acceptance of life as it actually is. That's so hard because it means, it means making peace with your doubt and unknowing. And that's so hard. Yeah, and, and recognizing that when you doubt if God really exists, God is actually with you in that place. That's, that, yes, and that's kind of because the paradox. That's it's a paradox. the paradox, right? Like, yeah. That because Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's actually great proof and evidence of a God who meets us in our places of wondering if God is even there or yeah. cares about us. Yeah. Or if God has given up on us yeah. or if God doesn't love us or whatever narratives we've told ourselves about what God thinks yeah. about us because of our actions or or our who we are what whatever you know or our experiences that we've found ourselves in that place well uh, when we look I, I also believe firmly that if we want to see God we look to Jesus that Jesus is the full revelation yeah. of God like Hebrews 1 3 is a big big thing that brought me back in a season of like trying to reconcile some of the more violent images of God with Jesus you know um, and uh, and for me like if Jesus is the full revelation of God, the exact representation of his being, then when Jesus doubts, it shows us that like, we serve a God who's given us some element of freedom. Yeah. And at times probably is, is that, that's gotta be so hard. I think as a parent, I think at times I doubt, like I'm like, yep. oh man, is this kid gonna make the right decision? Right. Like, you know what I mean? Right. Is this kid gonna do, uh, do the right thing in this situation or, or go the right direction because I don't want to see them get harmed. Right. I don't want to see the outcome of that direction yeah. on, on their life. And like, so like, I think we have this picture of a God who, who, who gets messy. Yes. And I think we've, the, the, the problem with evangelicalism is that for a lot of it, it's, it's actually removed from the mess or you know it's insulated itself from the mess and the mess seems to be where i see jesus yeah therefore where i see god yeah and yeah i just think that's that's important that we have communities popping up that are saying the mess is part of all of this yeah you can't remove that piece no you can't in fact it's integral to our own liberation and our and our own in order to find the kind of hope and meaning and joy I think we're looking for in life, we've got to make peace with despair. And we, in other words, we've got to accept the fact that, that we're, we're full of sorrow, we're, we're full of doubt, we're full of unknowing that, that life is painful, yeah. but that it's okay. That, that it's, it, does that make sense? It's kind of like the yeah. message you find often in AA, you know, or any kind of a recovery oh, program. Yeah, I'm broken. I, I, I don't have the answers. I'm always going to be broken. Mm -hmm. But then people come alongside of you and say, it's okay, we're together. We can share in this together. And you're not alone. And for yeah. me, that's the message of Christianity. That's the power of Christianity. God meets us in our brokenness. God meets us in our suffering. Not to make everything okay, but to tell us we can, we can be okay not being okay. We, we, can, we, we can live despite knowing we're going to die and we don't know what lies beyond. Yeah. We can find a kind of infinite depth in the simple acts of love and compassion and sharing in each other's suffering. For me, that's, that's the entirety of the Christian message. And that's, that's where the real power lives. It's not about, it's not about certainty yeah. in, in the great beyond or anything really transcendent. It's not about mustering up emotive beliefs in the metaphysics of whatever Christian theology is taught to us. It's about finding a kind of infinite depth in the simple acts of 
loving others, loving life, and investing ourselves in this right now. Finding, so to speak, finding Christ here and now. Yeah. As a pastor, the, the hard thing about that, what you just said, is seminary largely trains you how to hold together a community of like-minded people. Yeah, <laughs> right. And when you do, when you enter into the mess, you get a variety of minded people. Yeah. Some, I don't know, You, I think you uh, would probably be similar to us in that we have some atheists to attend. We have many who are really, really questioning, like, God, their faith, their yep. experience in the church, um, are very wounded, yes. or even are just, the first domino in their deconstruction has started, and they're wondering if they're going to be able to hold it all together because right. it's all falling apart. Right. And then you have other people who are reconstructing, they're very confident in where they're finding themselves, right. and then you have others who maybe have never even asked these questions. Right. They just, their church down the road closed, and they just walked in your door because they were like, oh, this seems like the next closest one or you know what I mean or right. oh, I like what they're doing and they haven't really started to explore the deeper questions because some people evangelicalism is enough and I feel like what ends up happening is something in life happens like a loss of a loved one right something something typically happens in your life that forces you to say hold on right this framework I was handed is not holding this right. up anymore I don't know what to do now and then there right. then then the questions begin but Talk a little bit about how hard it is or the challenges that exist in being a pastor of a, a pretty diverse community. You can say, hey, we're a, we're a more progressive church, but I know the reality is like you still have a pretty broad spectrum of, yeah. of, of people you're probably interacting with. So you want to know like what are some of the challenges? Well, I guess what I'm saying is I think we're on the precipice of like a new model of church in yes. a lot of ways because, yes. because the old model, we... we, we we rallied around our like-mindedness, I would right, say. Right, right. there was like, if you're not like us, you get out. Like, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, you see this with Rob Bell. It's a yeah. great example. Like, Rob Bell is the hero of this community in a lot right. of ways. Like, um, and then the moment he says something contrary to the narrative right. that this community has in one area and right. does it very, I would even say, like, he could have said it far more aggressively or blatantly yeah. or, like... Uh, it, it, it no longer works. Uh, the, I mean, and the scapegoat mentality was part of that too. Oh yeah. Um, so like how we're building different communities that aren't about the, the knee jerk reaction is not to scapegoat, not to say, Oh, well, I wonder what that's, what that's going to mean if we have someone in our community who thinks that way and they're a greeter. Like, well, what if that can, like, like you see what I'm trying to say? Like, like I w trying to envision a church where it's like, there's, there's blessing in the diversity of experiences and stories and journeys and right. where, what mile marker people are at yeah. can actually be embraced by the church in that moment. Yeah. Not, with, not with an agenda to be like, yeah, you're at this mile marker, but you need to get to this one. Yeah, and let right. me give you the roadmap to get to that destination. Right. But more to say, we want to love you right. and provide you a space as you continue discerning the direction. Well, you just said it. I, I, the goal, for example, the goal at Central, and I say this often, is not to get everybody to believe and think like the pastor does, yes. which is radically different so than most other churches. Agreed. So, so right there, if you, that's the starting point, the goal of coming to Central is not to become a disciple of Aaron Van Voris and to believe and think just like me, mm. but rather to kind of just, honestly, you're on your own journey. And, and, and 
you know, you're, you're, you come to Central because you find the community meaningful, you, you find the, the topics meaningful, you, 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 you like the people there, you have community there, you know, but you also learn there and you get to deconstruct and to reconstruct there, right? All of that's going on. But what the foundation of a healthy spiritual community is always the same, and it's simply love. It's simply radical affirmation of, you know, what, whatever, I say this often, um, I think it's from Peter Rollins, how you believe what you believe matters far more than what you believe. How you believe what you believe matters oh, far so more good. than what you believe. Because really how you believe what you believe is what you believe. For example, you know, somebody, somebody can say, I believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, but they really don't love anybody. They really don't put themselves out there. They don't really include the so-called others, you know, in, yeah. their, in their worldview, in their life. You know, they really don't. They're kind of just, an, I don't know, they kind of ignore everything. I would say that person doesn't actually believe in the resurrection. You know what yeah. I mean? Whereas somebody like me, like I no longer believe, and I'm open about it, I no longer believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. It's entirely allegorical for me. Mm. But I still find it meaningful and powerful um, for what I think it actually means. And, and for me, it means that we can... That, that, that it means that we can live anew in the world through this radical acceptance of death and the absence of God and that we can find peace and serenity and we can find a kind of infinite depth in the love of each other and especially caring for the vulnerable, the marginalized as Christ did. This for me is resurrection. This for me is what it means to believe in the resurrection. But again, I don't believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. But, but nevertheless, I think I actually believe it more than a lot of people who claim to actually believe in the bodily resurrection. You, the so, way in which you're acting and the way in which it's informing right. your life. How you believe what you believe matters for them, far more than what you believe. So at Central, we don't emphasize you know, emotive beliefs. It's not, you don't, to become a member at Central, you know, and we do have membership because we've got this building to manage and, you know, there's there's money involved and you have to have some kind of accountability sure. structure there. And it, we're a congregational church in poly. In other words, the, the members can hire and fire the pastor. So we have sure. to have some kind of governmental structure. So that's why you have membership sure, more yeah, or less. Yeah, yeah. But to be a member at Central, you don't, there's no, there's no theological document to sign. There's no classes to take where you have to sign on to the church's theology. You simply have to say that I consider myself... A, a disciple and follower of Jesus of Jesus um, and what that means for you is entirely up to you yeah so what what, what what that means I should put it like this what that means should mean at the very least is that you aspire to carry on the virtues and values of Christ period end of story yeah. whether or not you believe in the historical Jesus whether or not you believe in the resurrection mm -hmm. as a bodily thing or a physical thing whether or not you believe in the Trinity whether or not you believe in the afterlife yeah. is beside the point Mm. For, for us to be a follower of Jesus is exactly what I think it meant in Jesus' day. It means actually to live like Christ. It, it meant you could be a Samaritan. You could yeah. have different scriptures, worship in a different temple. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus didn't try to convert the Samaritan woman at the well to Judaism. Yeah. He, you know, he let her be a Samaritan. Yeah. Um, and, they were, and Samaritans were considered dogs by yeah. Jesus' contemporaries. They yeah. were heretics. They were apostates, yep. you know? Yep. Um, for me, that's the radical nature of Christianity. It's not about what you believe. It's about how you believe what you believe and whether or not you're following the values and virtues of Christ. And so for me, if that's the foundation of your spiritual community, then it's going to, uh, these, these other matters are going to take care of themselves. You're not going to have to worry about being inclusive towards people with different beliefs, whether they're atheist or theist or whatever. It's, it's just going to fall into place. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And a lot of people that are probably listening to this might have like knee-jerk reactions to that. But I think what I would say is like, I think we need more faith communities that have a flexible theology that are 
while that, while I under, I, you and I are close enough to evangelicalism, but even like our traditional upbringing that we know, like you, when you, when you even said it, like, oh, I know this, I'm, I'm out with this. Like you have to like say it that way because you know how people might receive that. Right. Yeah. Right. I think we need to recognize there's value in communities where people can still experience Jesus where they maybe are even out of theological orthodoxy. Right. Right. And I, and, and I think we've, uh, there's, there's value in that because the spirit is still moving in that place, I would say. Yes. And the spirit is able and capable. And I, I want to trust that we're not saved because of right theology. Cause if that's the case, then I think, we're in a lot of trouble because yeah. like which, which denominations, right. Would be right, the question. Right. Like, cause right. I guess they'll be the ones that go and no one else, like they'll be the ones who got it right. And everybody else got it wrong. That's, or, you know, that's horrific. This idea yeah. that there's some kind of a theology exam in the sky when you die, yeah, you don't pass. Exactly. I mean, that's just horrific. Yeah. And so, so I think there's needs, there, there just needs to be a celebration and even an open mindedness to the idea that theological, theologically flexible communities are of great value to the church in the 21st century. Well, and it needs to go beyond that. I, I, think, I think we need to be able to say that this is Christianity. Yeah, but that that's a starting point is what th- I would say. Because yeah, I would actually yeah. say, even just the idea that there's any value here, like right. for some people I know yeah. that might even be listening right now, Oh yeah, they would say, this isn't just not valuable. This is like antithetical to oh, everything. Oh, I know. It's like, terrifying. I think, yeah. I think my hope is that we can begin to begin to claim a uh, a brotherhood and sisterhood amongst one another yeah. that that says yeah that's not the way we would do it but i do see value in exploring that space because there are certain people that would never step foot in my church right and they need a place to explore jesus yes and why what i don't understand is why other churches would throw stones I think the common enemy theme and stuff of throwing stones and that kind of stuff is where um, where we often see, you know, the disruption of our unity. And uh, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. And the reason why a lot of churches throw stones is because, again, what's being threatened is the underlying psychological. um, I think that's seven dollars. Sorry, I'm selling books as I'm talking here. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, sure, man. I'll sign that book. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. This sounds sort of like theatrical. Like, oh, he's selling a book right now. Yeah, right. He's just doing yeah, this to get us to buy it. Your Amazon, Amazon, yeah, where yeah, your Amazon right, right, right. link is. Tell I'm actually that. signing a copy of my book for this fine fellow, <laughs> Elliot. So yeah, Elliot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dear Elliot, thanks for buying my book. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm signing it, as I often do, um, the words of Meister Eckhart, a 14th century mystic. May really? God rid you of God. This was his prayer that got him in all kinds of trouble with the Catholic Church in the 14th century. May God rid you of God. Yeah. Which he, what he meant by that yeah, was... Yeah, I want to know. Yeah, I'm yeah, I Well, I think what he meant by that. Thanks, Elliot. Here's your pen back. Um, did you want change? I gave it to you. Very good. Thank you, sir. <laughs> no, no, you got enough. Um, what what he meant by that was this idea of um, we, we should have a concept of the divine that liberates us from these oppressive concepts of the divine. Exactly. In, in other yeah. words, um, to say, may God rid you of God, 
and I think he put it like this, I pray that God may rid you of God, is, is to say, may we be rid of this God of um, right theology, this God who threatens us with hellfire if we don't believe the right things or don't participate in the correct liturgical structure. May we, may we pray that God would rid us of that God. May we be rid of all the gods that um, help us cover up the truth of our lives, that we're full of doubt and unknowing, that we're all facing the inevitability and the inexplicability of death. Um, may we be liberated from, from a God that helps us cover that up and, and avoid making peace with these truths. Um, because ultimately, when we can make peace with the truth of our lives, we'll find new life. Just like what happens in an AA. AA is a great, ex- AA is a great example our of that. Our church is very modeled, I would say, off AA. Yeah. I mean, we, have, we, we reach a lot of people in recovery, and I'm finding that more of your theologically flexible faith communities are finding a kinship with the recovery community yeah because the the steps are so the steps require so much humility and they deny dogma like you know what i mean like 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 uh almost like dogma is what got us here (laughs) we're called to courage not certainty yeah faith is about courage not certainty for faith to be faith it has to be grounded in doubt and unknowing otherwise it's not really faith Faith, faith is about. I said this yesterday in my workshop. Faith is about, and I think I'm borrowing this from Peter Rollins. Thanks, Pete. Uh, <laughs> that faith is about a way of living in the world, not a set of emotive beliefs. We, we have been handed this horrible definition of faith from the church, basically since the Enlightenment. Faith has become this kind of scientific way of approaching scripture or, or, or metaphysics. That it's about certainty. That it's about knowing things. When it's really, when it's really not about that. It's about a way of living in the world. It's about a way of of of, of practicing a set of virtues and values like Christ did, and it's really about embracing your unknowing and your doubt. Um, you know, for me, I, I tend to believe that there is something, there's some kind of transcendent consciousness that undergirds reality that's responsible for why there's something rather than nothing in the universe. Um, I, I think that there is some kind of divine essence or divine force, but I don't really know that. I'm just, and for me, it's not really a big part of my life anymore to emote certainty in some kind of metaphysics. For me, Christian faith is about a way of living in solidarity with the values and virtues of Christ and care for the other, the marginalized, the oppressed. Yeah. Okay? So for me, that's the kind of Christian faith I'm interested in, in preaching and talking about. What, what you believe about the hereafter, what you believe about the divine, whether or not you believe in the existence of God and what exactly are, are the metaphysics of that being or, or force, I really don't have an interest in. I'm comfortable with whatever you believe about that. Mm. For me, faith in Christianity, it is a way of living. It is a way of living. Yeah. Um, n- not, not about emoted feelings of certainty in one set of metaphysics or another. If sure. anything, you know, um, that's totally beside the point. So anyway. Well, yeah, it can become a shadow. It can become a shadow. Um, it can become a shadow picture of who God really is. Does that make sense? Like yeah. it can become like a part, but not the whole. Like you, you get the small glimpse, but not the whole thing. Like God certainly connects with us emotionally. Does yeah. that make sense? And there is emotion, but like when we only focus on this piece, or when we right. deny all the other elements that are happening, there's yeah, that's great. Um, so. You're at Q Conference. Have you been here before? So, yes. This is my fifth year at this conference. Um, what do you like about it? What do I like about it? Well, I am here because I am a straight affirming pastor, and I have about 20% of my congregation is LGBTQ. And for me, this is an important civil rights movement to be a part of, especially as a pastor. There's not enough pastors that come to this and participate in it and support it. And so for me, it's it's I come partly for that reason, but I also come because Honestly, it is the best Christian conference, bar none, any genre I've ever been to because of 
the um, the love and the healing that takes place here. You really are in an environment where people's people are literally their lives are being saved. I mean, every every t- every year you come here, you sto- hear stories of attempted suicide from the year before, and yeah. and there there is horrific horrific stuff going on in um in frankly the LGBTQ community, and this is a this is a place that saves lives, and I get to be a part of that. It is my honor and privilege to be here and to be a part of that as a pastor and uh i just i want to support it i want to learn from it that's why I, that's why i come here every year so mm-hmm. yeah how much of your book uh explores lgbt and that part yeah of that's a good tra- question not much not much um okay. I, I talk about that in there a little bit but the book was more written for deconstruction and reconstruction in a kind of a broader way rather okay, than yeah. targeting just i understand yeah for some people that is the on-ramp to deconstruction yeah for some yeah. it's not Right. And like, yeah, so your book's broader in deconstruction, reconstruction. Yeah, because I wrote it for everybody. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's great. What uh, What do you hope to get out of this conference with, uh, we're on the, what, day, a full day left probably now at right. this point or whatever? What am I hoping to get out of it? Uh, more book sales. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's, that's a little, it's too much. Um, honestly, uh, I'm, I'm here with some members of my church. I'm, I'm part of the reason why I love coming here with folks is because it's an opportunity opportunity for me to spend time with them and get to know them better and just i'm, I'm just here to uh to love and be loved just to enjoy people and to yeah. uh yeah what would you say to a pastor who's not affirming yeah. and exploring but who's open to better love the gay community but um theologically they feel very certain might even be a negative word i'm just more saying like they feel they feel where where they are theologically is is where they're going, where they are, and where they're going to be. Okay. Um, but they want to love the gay community. They want to be a part of healing. They see value yeah. in that. How? What What are your thoughts on that? I'm curious. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, you know, for me, I, I think the first thing that comes to mind is is if the if you if that pastor has LGBTQ people in his or her congregation, I, I would just recommend just take them out to lunch, spend time with them. Don't. Don't, you know, just, just get to know them. Um, just hang out with them. Make them feel like they're an accepted part of the church as much as possible. Yeah. Um, just invest time with them. Don't, don't like, grill them on their theology or something like that. Don't, don't take them out to lunch because you, like, want to, like, you know, f- rec- I guess convert them or try to figure them out. Just take them out because you like them and you want to be, their, you know, their friend or something like that. Um, it's so hard, honestly, Justin. I, I think if, if you're a pastor who is simply interested in loving the LGBTQ community more, but you're not really interested in affirming them, I think right there, that's a problem, and you're really not going to be able to love them or in, in the way that's really meaningful. I think maybe you can build some friendships, perhaps, but it's going to be superficial stuff. Um, I, I would recommend coming to a conference like this to a pastor yeah. um, just to come and learn, not to debate, n- n- not to, you know, quote-unquote judge, um, but just to learn and and just to put yourself out there a little bit. Be exposed to something maybe different. Yeah, maybe and, and exactly. So come come to a conference like this or the Reformation Project conference. Um, Do you go to that conference? I did. Yeah, you, I've been to a couple of them. I've, I spoke at— uh, That's Matthew Vines' one. conference, That's right? Matthew Vines, yeah. Yeah. So I would, I, would, I would encourage a pastor just to put himself or herself out there by coming to a conference like this. Just take take the members of the church that are LGBTQ or, you know, out to lunch or dinner and just get to know them. Just just let them know that you like them and you care about them at that level. But to be perfectly clear, if you're, if you're not going to be affirming of them, then I don't really think you really can love them in a meaningful way, to be perfectly clear. Wow. Yeah. Okay. 
That's that's what? you asked me. That's no, asked my feeling no. About it. I think that's I think that's good. Yeah. Do you wh- what do you think the difference is between this conference and the Reformation? Um, the conference. Reformation Project is, I think, more invested in social justice in a broader way than QCF. Okay. Um, at the Reformation Project conferences, you'll hear voices not just about LGBT, LGBTQ uh, inclusion, but about matters of racial justice and economic justice as well. Okay. So that conference is more focused on that. Broad I would say issues of Broader, broader yeah. issues. Um, I, my my take on Matthew Vines's um, theology is that he's very much into trying to maintain a very high view of scripture and scripture and biblical inerrancy yes. uh, w- uh, while being affirming. So he's interested in creating a bridge with conservative evangelicals that want to maintain biblical inerrancy and conservative theological structures, uh, but also want to be fully affirming. So he's he's trying to bridge that gap. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. No. His book. Yeah. God and the Gay Christian. Yeah. He he, he makes it very clear. His QCF isn't really to, doing that his commitment to scripture yeah qcf and frankly i i'm 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 not a proponent of matthew's theology i i can understand why he's doing it and value that it's helpful yeah it's valuable because there because it might be the bridge to it, yeah, exactly to a, a, a either even more right. affirming theology and, and honestly whatever saves people's lives i'm for and yeah. he's saving people's lives with that but to be perfectly clear in my perspective the bible's not inerrant so yeah. it's kind of a moot point it's yeah. it's kind of like you're putting uh I was going to say putting lipstick on a pig, but that's that's a bad metaphor because I still believe the Bible is full of wisdom and truth, uh, right. but it's also full of brokenness and our human failing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for, for me, it's kind of like it's a moot point because the Bible's not perfect. I don't need the Bible to be perfect in order to affirm yeah. people. Does that make sense? No, I get it. So, yeah, that's, that's yeah. to me kind of the differences between QCF and TRP. Um, TRP is a smaller conference. Um, I think it attracts uh, historically three to four hundred people. QCF is around fifteen hundred. Okay. So, do you? Uh, where, where can people find your book? And Amazon. Where can people find out more about you if they want to like hit your website? Sure. A survival guide more? for heretics is the name of the book. It's on Amazon, easily findable. Um, my name's Aaron Van Voris. I have a blog. I don't attend to it very much because I more or less just use Facebook. Yeah. I learned that nobody really is going to go to my website, AaronVanVoris.com, <laughs> to like read what I have to say. Yeah. But my 900 friends on Facebook will read something if I post it. So I just post on Facebook now. But um, look me up on Facebook. Um, you, you can check out the podcast, uh, The Central Cast, on www.centralavenuechurch.org backslash podcast. You can go to the church website and find our podcast there or on iTunes. You can just search Central Avenue Church Glendale on, okay. on iTunes and you can subscribe to the weekly podcast. Yeah. Great. Great. Aaron, thank you so much for sitting down. Thanks, Justin. Yeah. Yeah, man. Another episode of Beyond Boundaries podcast in the books. I'm trying to post every week, so make sure you come back. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, share, do all the things that you're supposed to do on the social media platforms, all that goodness, because it makes a difference. It gets more people interacting with the podcast, which is huge. You can also like really help if you go to the Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash beyond boundaries podcast. It would mean so much if you would help support this thing, this beyond boundaries thing, sharing stories, diving into different topics. Um, your help makes that possible. So uh, please participate even just through sharing and liking and all that good stuff. I want to thank Aaron Van Voorst for being on. And I just want to encourage you to go check out his book. You can go to Amazon and get that. I'll have a link in the show notes. Thank you for being with me and may you go and live a life that is beyond boundaries, giving others love, exploring new ideas and championing belonging.